Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The National Blast podcast with Keenan Skelly. Join Keenan and guests as they blast you to a place that is certainly not boring, yet still giving you highlights from areas in cyber where key policies and legislation are needed, exist, but aren't enforced, or no one is even talking about it. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hello, everyone. It is Keenan Skelly, the host of The National Blast. I, as always, have a phenomenal guest uh, on with me today. Patty, I'm going to hand it over to you. Please introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Keenan. Uh, my name is Patty O'Reilly, Patty O'Reilly. Um, people call me Patty. Uh, I uh, started a, a cybersecurity software company uh, and built it out over about six years. And one of the things it allows me to do is talk to government uh, customers and talk to uh, thought leaders, uh, get sort of the latest intel across critical infrastructure uh, with respect to you know compliance and risk management. So I have a pretty good view of what's going on out there in cyber just generally. And I think today, we're going to discuss the six-month uh, anniversary uh, of the beginning of the conflict in Ukraine and the implications for cyber generally and, and what it looks like for the Ukrainians and what it looks like for NATO and what it looks like for the globe more generally. That's really wonderful. And I'm excited to talk about this. You know, the Ukraine just celebrated their Independence Day yesterday, and the whole world was kind of watching as they fight this fight with Russia, who's now moved into Crimea and continues to push forward in other areas in the region. Um, what's, what is the status? What Where are we right now with that conflict and in terms of cybersecurity and in terms of how the nations are responding with support or without support? Yeah, no, I mean, largely across the board, there's been a lot of support. I mean, I think the, you know, the globe more, you know, has been really moved by uh, the Ukrainians and their resistance. Um, you know, private concerns here in the States have been very involved. I mean, Microsoft has kind of led the charge, uh, but our government is also involved. Um, you know, some of the uh, cyber attacks that came in the early days had the signature of previous uh, types of attacks, but private industry very quickly uh, helped Ukraine protect, you know, critical data uh, and move it, you know, uh, offsite uh, into the cloud. Uh, so there's been a lot, a lot going on inside Ukraine and a lot of, a lot of private concerns and governmental concerns have stepped up to the plate to help Ukraine uh, maintain their infrastructure, really. Absolutely. And I, I also know that there's been a lot of support from private organizations in cybersecurity and intelligence who've been helping them kind of get a grip on how to uh, manage some of their intel efforts with Russia and uh, sort of the, the things that they're doing back and forth on that. So all around, I think it's been, you know, admirable how much support is actually being given there. So it's been six months, you know, early on, you're right, there were some very specific cyber risk. In, case, uh, in fact, I just spoke with um, someone else about, you know, what's the status of six months of Shields Up? Because the Shields Up really started with the concept of, okay, Russia is really interested in critical infrastructure right now, and we need you all to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. So 
there was no big, uh, massive moment. There have been, you know, small sort of incursions. But do you think that that's likely to stay where it's at? Or do you think that in the six months, you know, they've just been kind of preparing and trying to understand their attack surface? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've heard sort of rumblings just when you you go across the intel, you know, or, or the, the reportage uh, on the subject that we're in a quiet period. And officials generally warn that when you're in a quiet period with, uh, you know, with with this particular nation state entity, uh, that, that what that really means is they're preparing another wave. I think, you know, Shields Up really addressed something that you can't over address. Uh, you know, and I, I work with energy uh, companies on on the regular, uh, my company, and but very big ones. And you know, I mean, it's the it's it's really the scenario no one wants to talk about. You know, uh, and and Ukraine was the test bed for the original uh, you know uh, hacking that that led to the outage and leaping into the OT systems. So I think. Shields up is trenchant. It's still trenchant. Uh, maybe there hasn't been an example of you know shutting down a particular uh, service or you know supply chain. Um, I wouldn't say though that that means that you know people are are necessarily uh, pulling back on Shields up. I think it's still a great initiative, and uh, you know it's it's something that a lot of our customers uh, talk about pretty regularly. So here in the U.S., you know, we had the Shields Up thing and we didn't really experience a whole lot of things. But that does not mean that the Ukraine themselves have not been experiencing things. Can you talk a little bit about some of the cyber issues that they have faced and how that's yeah, they had a They had a really big one right away, which was the outage of uh, Viasat, uh, the, their satellite network, and all the modems went down. And this was the communications infrastructure they used to communicate with their own soldiers. So, you know. That's a bit of an issue. If you can't get data to the front line, what's happening? You know, so but again, all of those soldiers and all of those folks ended up going to signal or going to, you know, regular messaging channels to try to communicate with each other. And now all of that is, you know, open communication that can be intercepted. Absolutely. And that's why Starlink came in and immediately stepped in. So it's another example of, you know, the private sector coming right into the void and providing additional assistance. Uh, the, 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 the Viasat stuff is just fascinating for our cutting edge cyber people. So they're all over it. I mean, they're in there, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out what happened and what went and, you know, how do you defend against this in the future? Because, you know, weaponizing cyber uh, with respect to communication satellites is not good. Not good at all. And I'm pretty sure there are multiple working groups at the government level that have been stood up just to deal with the ramifications of that and where yeah. it goes in the future. Yeah, and I know the NSA is looking at it. And, you know, whenever you see the NSA is looking at it, you know that uh, that's the top level uh, secret type cyber people on it. So what else? I know there were a few infrastructure attacks. We're seeing a lot of activity with Russia involving the nuclear power plants over there. It hasn't been super clear what the intention is, but I mean, chaos always reigns when you start talking about nuclear power plants. Yeah, you see the the coordination of other types of cyber techniques, you know, when they, you know, when they were taking up residence at the plant near 
Kiev, you know, they were also conducting other operations to sort of signal jam and, uh, you know, attack uh, data and, and just make things more difficult in, in general. So it was to sow confusion. I mean, that's another way that, you know, cyber operations operate. And some of that's just through social channels. And uh, we saw, you know, great examples of that in 2016. Uh, I don't know, and I, I think we'd all know if uh, any of the systems online and nuclear power plants were uh, compromised. Uh, you know, generally nuclear power, in my experience, is one of the most secure uh, facilities uh, with respect to cyber. Their cyber, you know, maturity rating tends to be way up there uh, for obvious reasons. What I, you know, just as a public, a private citizen, though, when you see that there's a lot of activity around uh, nuclear power plants, you know, they're being taken, held, uh, workers are being sent home, things like that. You, you do get today, literally in the news today, they cut power to one of the nuclear power plants. Uh, the Russians did. So it it is frightening. It's that uh, the fear based um, kind of warfare. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's deeply concerning and, um, you know, it bears very close watching. And I'm sure plenty of people are you know, trying to help. Absolutely. So what else has happened over the course of six months? What what is changed? Yeah. What are we doing differently? What are we more well, prepared for? One of the big ones that really struck me when I you know when it when it came out was that on premise installations were not considered secure because of wiper malware, yep. right? Yeah. And I, you know, I work with very big companies that, you know, three, four five years ago, they were like, it's got to be on premise. It has to be. And, when I, you know, I built cloud software. So we would sometimes give them an on-prem, you know, version and they, you know, quickly put it on their on-premise network. And, you know, there's a lot of IT change management that goes into that. And, and it would sometimes it would, you know, it'd be hard to find after they installed it, you know, but, uh, you know, to hear that on-premise installations are particularly vulnerable and that the cloud has been instrumental in distributing the data, uh, uh, the critical data that Ukraine needs to function day to day. That's been a big one. And that kind of dovetails with a general overall trend in the, in the, COVID, post-COVID era, which is, you know, the virtualization of work as well. Absolutely. You know, I also come from a world where on-prem, you know, is is very much preferred when you talk to governments, when you talk to uh, people doing things where they feel like if they have physical control over the asset, that somehow that that's not going to, you know, really change their way of operating. I think that most of the cloud providers and, and you know, some of the folks like Microsoft, for example, who has Mystic and all of these other capabilities that they're lending efforts to uh, in the Ukraine situation have definitely been able to demonstrate that their cloud products are secure enough to continue uh, national operations when often the on-prem solutions are not. So I agree. I think this is a, an interesting change in the perspective of, you know, if it works during warfare, it probably works most of the time. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, again, it's just something I've been in the middle of conversations for years around it. And there was just this baseline assumption that on-premise was, by definition, more secure. Uh, and, and we're seeing a pretty clear use case uh, where that may not be the case anymore. Absolutely. Uh, anything else? What what else has changed? I mean, I think some of the other stuff that fascinates me is, you know, their initial barrage, you know, the uptick in attacks, 
um, you know, it, it probably went up by about 500 percent, um, you know, but quickly teams were sent in and they had very specific uh, expertise with respect to uh, stopping the particular brands of malware that were next gen. You know, so they did resemble the previous brands of malware you saw coming out of the state sponsored agencies, but uh, the teams were very good at uh, immediately stopping a great deal of that uh, malware pro proliferation, which that was fascinating to me. What's also fascinating is how over the course of it, uh, the defense tactics and the, and the learnings have just gotten better and better over time. And you can't say to this day, and, uh, you know, I've read like, high level theoretical papers about it, you know, written by like think tank types, they're just saying that the, the campaign has not been terribly effective to date, that uh, that the cyber, you know, and, and we, you know, before this, when we heard Russia and cyber war, we were like, you know, everyone in cyber is like, this could get, you know, very, very bad, very quickly. Um, also, another thing that I've been thinking about, because, you know, people bring it up is, you know, what are the implications for NATO, NATO, NATO countries, the United States, uh, other governments has, you know, it, it does, is, is there some consideration uh, that they might broaden the scale of the conflict? Uh, thus far, we haven't really seen uh, that, um, which means they're being, you know, careful. Uh, there, there's obviously probably pretty good reasons for that, but uh, that's not, we shouldn't, you know, rest on our laurel, laurels there, you know, and that again gets back to shields up. Uh, you know, the Russians are very capable uh, when it comes to these sorts of campaigns, they're, they're oh, the best. Actually, in the world. That's an interesting statement. And I've seen a lot of back and forth on that. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people are in this camp that Russia was very good at the things that they had been doing in the past, but primarily because they had outsourced cyber to cyber you know, experts and, and right. all of these companies that have now quietly switched back into ransomware mode. Right. Uh, and then there are some people who really believe that they still have the strategy to be able to kind of carry that out. But what we've seen across all of the warfare suggests both of those are kind of true, right? They came at this with a very old school Russian mentality about how they were going to do it. And they weren't prepared for the scrappiness of the Ukraine and the Ukrainian people and the support from the rest of the world. So what do you think? Is it is it the, the former, which is very much, you know, they they still have massive capabilities that they just haven't brought to bear? Or do you think that maybe they came into this a little bit unprepared yeah. and outdated? Yeah, I'm more on the hubris side. I mean, you know, my Irish uh, lineage uh, tilts me more toward the, they were not prepared for the entrenched battle mm -hmm. and the will of the people. I, I think empires and large states, you know, frequently overestimate their capability to subdue, uh, you know, populations. I, I just, history kind of points that up. And I think we're we're in one of those situations now. That said, I bet the Ukrainians remain vigilant. Oh yeah. yeah. So as a as a former EOD tech, I I was I found it really interesting that, you know, a lot of the the munitions that they were using, a lot of the warfare capabilities, standard warfare capabilities that they brought to bear were decades old. And that, to me, that really said a lot about how unprepared they really were in terms of being able to jump into this fight. You know, when you're using Vietnam era or earlier era munitions and tanks and rockets and things of that nature, you have to wonder, you know, how is that relating to the cyber side of the house? And I think luckily at this point, we haven't seen them bring anything massive to bear. Do you think that's going to change? 
Possibly. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, I, sometimes I, I think about, you know, the, the resources they have, you know, because the, you know, in, in a somewhat unrelated, you know, uh, vein, the ransomware plague of last year and, and into early into this year was, you know, it, it was something that, you know, had people really on edge, you know, and it, and it still does. Um, but like you say, how governable, you know, are these rogue operators within, you know, a, a classically hierarchical intelligence and political apparatus, right? That's sort of what I'm wondering at this point. Absolutely. Especially when you see major groups coming out. This was a big topic that we talked about at RSA with folks. When Conti comes out and says, we 100% support Russia, we're going to do everything we can. And then a week later, one of their own members and co-founders leaks all of this information and says, no, we don't agree with that. And the organization is now struggling to figure out what they are and who they are. Um, I think that's probably the case with a lot of threat actors. There's a lot of threat actors that are just in it for the money. And there's right. also threat actors who are in it to make really good money from nation states if they're providing that. So it's right. really interesting to see how that's kind of been playing out. And and I wonder how it's going to continue to play out as Russia reevaluates its current status. Yeah, me too. Uh, because to some extent, it's it's a, just a huge question across cyber. You know, it has to do with the criminal activity and, you know, what are the incentives uh, for it to continue or to be leveraged by nation state actors it's it's a big part of cyber just it just it just is so how would you recommend kind of you know the us moving forward and ukraine moving forward and the partner countries um what do they need to be paying attention to what do they need to pay particular attention to given the unpredictability of what we can expect from russia yeah, I mean, I think you see some of the reports that are coming out and being published by, you know, Microsoft, by think tanks. Uh, I would like it if the government maybe talked a little bit more, uh, you know, about it. I understand that there are political reasons not to, um, but there have been some very clear, you know, learnings that, you know, distributing your data, backing it up. Uh, you know, these are things that, you know, bear mentioning on occasion. Um, also talking about, uh, just just getting rid of the fog of things. You know, what what does it mean when you say they're on a network? What does it mean when you say they're just conducting espionage? What does it mean when you say they could go cyber to physical? Um, you know, because I think people live with sort of a day-to-day, -day, you know, drip of fear with respect to some of these things. And I know even among professionals in cyber, we sometimes tiptoe around, uh, you know, things that can go wrong. And, you know, I don't know that that is the correct way to do it because there are plenty of people who are rushing into the breach right now and you know they're not they're not shying away from uh, this stuff but this is like the age-old question in all of warfare right how much deterrence is enough deterrence versus how much this is what we saw this is what we did we took care of it and there you go deal with that because okay. sometimes you know, being very open is deterrence. And sometimes not sharing detail is deterrence. It yes. just, it's so yeah. such a fine line to it's walk. Balance. You're right. It's a total balance. Uh, you know, you saw that when the FBI went after, you know, uh, some of the ransomware exchanges. 
Yep. It's a balance. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that uh, the government should talk more about what they do. I think that when they do it, I saw FBI, Chris Ray, I saw Chris Ray talk at BC recently, and he was very tight lipped, but it's very effective, right? It's almost sort of Hollywood. You know, we, we took care of a certain thing, you know. Um, but I, I did think it was really interesting in the beginning that the administration and the intelligence side of it were very they were very open about we have this intelligence that demonstrates this and therefore we did this and this and this and yes. their not reliance but their willingness to accept open source intelligence to make those actions i think is a big change in also how we perceive warfare um that has definitely come out of the ukraine absolutely and it's i mean i think it's informed really sort of the multi-sector approach that like CISA is taking now. I think you do have to have that rapid uh, cycle of information getting back to those who know how to combat things so that they can go out very rapidly and inform the operators uh, what to do. Absolutely. So if you could say anything, if you could convince Congress and the government and the Ukrainian government to do, you know, whatever, you've got a magic wand, to make this, um, you know, a conflict that doesn't last very long and that doesn't involve massive cyber casualties, what would you ask for? What would you want to see happen over the next six months? I think, you know, I, I would I would hesitate to to say what Ukraine needs to do. I think they have been unbelievably uh, resourceful, uh, you know, inspiring as a people, you know, in their resistance. Um, you know, I think they're going to continue to find ways to make their systems and operations and data more resilient. They just are. Uh, you know, I've read all the bl blasts that come out from their, they're basically their head of cyber and he's a very capable uh, fellow. So I, I think from our side, though, our government, you know, has its reasons for being quiet with respect to some of the support we're lending uh, over there. But I think just generally overall, What's happening, uh, you see it kind of in little steps inside, uh, you know, TSA, inside the EPA. So the government is beginning to take some of the mandates of last year, the executive orders of last year around strengthening American cybersecurity and, and getting that across the critical infrastructure sectors. And they're kind of marching it slowly across the sectors that haven't had a lot of attention or are maybe not under regulatory regimes. I think maybe a little bit more has to come out about why, you know, why it's so important for us to protect our critical infrastructure. It has to be socialized a bit more. You know, it's in private hands an awful lot of it. There's a real disincentive structure in play there. You know, it's a sort of a, you know, problem of the commons type issue. And, you know, I, I think we need to, you know, instead of saying, okay, it's the EPA this week, it was the SEC the week before, it was TSA the week before that, you know, the Irish government called me up last year when they got hacked and they were like, we come to a panel and, and they were like, we've got these five people looking at critical infrastructure. Do you think that's enough? And I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. And they kind of knew it too. But then when they started pouring more money into it, all of a sudden their national cyber center went quiet on them. They started acting like they were in, you know, and no insult to anyone in Ireland. They started acting like it was a top secret mission. So, you know, we need more discussion about, you know, critical infrastructure, how to harden it, how to be resilient, why it's so tricky, why it's so tough. And I think, you know, what you see happening in Ukraine is a brilliant case study of this accelerating on steroids, you know, because it is war and the stakes are so high and, you know, lives are involved. Well, hopefully um, the, the conflict doesn't last 
uh, much longer. Uh, but as we all know, Russia is stubborn. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's important that everybody continues to take this seriously in terms of response, both on the, the physical side and, of course, on the cybersecurity side. Absolutely. Any last thoughts? No. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure. Guys, this is the latest episode of The National Blast, and I will catch you on the flip side. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The National Blast podcast with Keenan Skelly. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.